Welcome everyone to the Rest Podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Williams, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. It's a pleasure to have Dr. Ledbetter join me today. Thank you so much for continuing this conversation about trauma. So thank you for being here. You're welcome. My pleasure. Writing is a grueling process. It is. Painful. Describe it. Well, you've got all of this information in you. And and for me, I think getting it on paper, then I'm done. But getting it on paper, it's just started, and then you've got to go through. Because if you speak it, it's different than writing it. So it, it's got to be where anybody that's reading can explain it, and that's the that's the painful process. You, the editing is The brutal. editing of it and making sure everybody can understand. This is an important book, Set Free from the Damage of Trauma. Yeah. What inspired it? Seeing people who have allowed traumatic events to affect their life and they can't get on with their life because of it. It's amazing, Virginia, how that four people can suffer the same thing and only one of the, out of the four will have the trauma associated with it. The others somehow can move right past it. It's amazing. So those, those that can't move past it, they obviously they need some answers dealing with this day in and day out there's often complex and very different narratives i'm sure that make up the layers of their life their story their ancestors and that's what you've got to find out exactly we have seen you and i and our listening audience we've all seen how depression and suicide have increased especially among teens yeah what do you make of this trend that's tra- that reality alone is traumatizing. It is. It's a sign of our times. It is. And so imagine what's happening in their families, right? But what are your thoughts? Yeah, it, yeah well, I, I've seen it. As a pastor, it has hit us, you know, in our congregation. The, these things, depression and suicide and all that. There's so many answers to select from. There's so many answers that are not right. And the students coming up through school and all they're they're given agenda answers instead of truthful answers, and you can't get their mind around it. They can't get their understanding around it, and so most of them don't think it comes to a point. If life if life's got no answers, why do I want to live it? You know, you're speaking to something that's so close to my heart. That's why we invite people into a place of rest, so we can reconcile the conflicts that ail them, confusion, chaos, and disease. Because if not, there's no hope. And and they're in bondage. They're enslaved by the things. And then, you know, you and I, as adults and as students of philosophy and theology and science and politics and trends and history and all of these things, we cannot believe what we're seeing. So if it ails us... How is a teenager, when systematically the capacity to reason has really eroded, 
in our yep. academic institutions. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And they don't have tools to even process a lot of this. There's stuff. a hopelessness and a desperation. And hopeless and hopelessness and destru- desperation will lead to taking your life. What inspired this book? Answers. Giving people answers. And in this particular book, Virginia, instead of as, as, a, as a counselor, as a, a therapist, just to say words don't seem to be enough. They want to they see it in action. So I went into the scriptures where truth is. You can find truth there. I went into the scriptures and I chose uh, different Bible characters who suffered traumatic things. For instance, Mary and Martha suffered the trauma of losing their brother. Now, everybody's lost a family member and you know what that trauma is but this was this was more specific because in that culture the male is the only one that could inherit property inherit money females could not if they were going to live they would have to get married they would have to find somebody to work for so when Lazarus died their whole life fell apart and Jesus was just a few miles away and he didn't come and they knew they saw him heal and they knew he could heal their brother but he didn't show up until he had died and that traumatic effect of of the betrayal from a friend and the loss of security and a brother the trauma was almost unbearable terror set in can you give us an overview of trauma trauma is not an event Trauma is the ongoing reaction of that event. Mm. So if an event happens and you are you know, healthy enough emotionally and, and psychologically that you can take that hit, and then you may not be affected. But trauma is not the event. Events like that happen to everybody. Trauma is the ongoing reaction to that event. Yeah, if I can give, an, it. yeah, if I can give an illustration, and this this is, uh, you know, all illustrations break down at some point. But say the, the the game is on the line, a football game is on the line, and a guy's a place kicker, and if he goes out and if he kicks that ball through the uprights, then his team wins. He kicks the ball and it goes to the left, and his team loses. And he's the one that kicked the ball. He falls down, head in hands. He feels like he's the one. And I guarantee you, the next that that night and the next few days, he replays that event. Mm-hmm. But he he replays it, hoping that that ball will go through the goalpost this time, and they'll have a different outcome. People who suffer from trauma do something similar to that. They play the event that caused the trauma over and over and over and over, hoping for a different outcome, but never getting one. Yeah, And healing comes with breaking those patterns. That's right. right. I'm going to go through a series of questions so people can get a sense of what the book is about and about you and what motivates your thoughts and your ideas on trauma. Do you think people of faith tend to be more reluctant to acknowledge their depression or trauma. You're a pastor. You've seen tens of thousands yeah. of people over your 40, yeah, people, 50 years. People and- will live with it for the sake of image because Christians are not supposed to have problems. 
people of faith are not supposed to have trauma. I don't know whoever. I, I, don't, I don't know where that I don't know where that came, came from, from, but the people believe it. You know, if you're a believer. Do they really believe it? They really do. And, and they act on it. They will hide things that have happened to them for the sake of image. I'm a good Christian. Bad things don't happen to me. Well, is that pride? Isn't that pride? Though? Probably so. Yeah, but that Some that's kind of spiritual. Pride. That's one of the things. And then when they can't live with it, when they've experienced that trauma and they've lived with it, and it's happened over and over and over, then they come for help. And often it's late. Sometimes it's too late. That's interesting because that's not what our faith invites us into. That's not exactly. the message of Christ. That's not what He invited us to experience with him it's in our brokenness and in our shame and in our fear that we're invited to experience rest yes right that's true and he promises as we discussed when we did our segment on the fruits of the spirit he promises that he's for every hunger we have every need every desire that we have he's provided a fruit. He's provided a resource yes. to meet that need. Yes. We did four segments on this. Yes. Take care how, of that hunger. Yes. Yeah. How do you reconcile that with trauma? We had an incredible conversation about the hungers that can that drive mm-hmm. us, right? But trauma is also a very real thing. It's a reality in our lifetimes that plays out in the midst of of our understanding these hungers. Yep. Have you found a way to reconcile those two conversations? I have these hungers, I have these desires, and I make these choices, and I have these resources. How does trauma perhaps impair, distort, pervert our hungers? People who have suffered trauma, it, it is a crisis of belief. In the book, I quote Jan Levy, uh, what she says about it. She says, uh, trauma is like a pebble hitting the windshield of a car. At the time of impact, it shatters and it splits all across the field of vision so that you can't see and it affects belief. Because now you can't see what's in front of you. That windshield is cracked and there's no vision. Mm. And so at the impact of trauma, this does the same thing a pebble does or a rock does to a windshield. It creates all across your field of vision a barrier for you to see what is truth and what it will be healing to you. It's uh, That's, It can be terrifying. It, it is terrifying. So it, even the quiet, still voice in your heart that says, no, I... I was meant for more than this. This isn't supposed to be my life. It's hard. It's almost like still, quiet, peace, serenity. Some of these things become important to hear that quiet, still voice of our soul. Yeah. Because if not, we're going to reach for a lot of different things to mitigate that pain. Yep. What do you think? Yep. Yes. And if they can't see, um, it affects their belief system. That's right. And, and you become reactive. If, if your belief system's gone, you become reactive and you're on your own. That's what right? trauma does to you. It that's makes right. you react. It's not how you act. It's how you react. React, yeah. So the work of the flesh and the impulses yeah. of our central nervous system, 
the trauma, like you said, that's still lodged in our body, it has a great influence over our choices, our decisions. Absolutely I, does. I deal with this so much. And we have a lot of resources and technologies that we use that are not diagnostic in nature. They're not treatment in nature. In nature, They're like a mirror. Yeah. that reflects back to them what's really happening. And I can't tell you the peace people feel because they think, okay, I'm not crazy. This can pass. Now, if you go back to Mary and Martha, when Jesus came down, Martha was angry. And she met Jesus on the road. She didn't kneel. She had him face to face. And her first words to him were accusatory. When she said, instead of, hello, Jesus, I'm glad to see you here, or whatever, she said, had you been here, our brother would not have died. That's right. It was accusatory. So that started a fight. So between fear, and that's what the the trauma, the death of their brother created a fear in Mary and Martha. And there was a road to travel to get to faith. And that's where Jesus wanted to bring them. He even said, you know, your brother's going to rise again. And because of that field of vision was blurred and her belief was blurred. She says, well, I know he's going to rise again when everybody else does. And Jesus said, no, I'm the resurrection and the life. And she didn't get that. She didn't get it. Wasn't that the time he also wept? Well, yeah, because because they had talking points. Everybody, the talking point everybody had was, if he'd have been here, Lazarus would be alive. Even the people following Jesus, when he said, take me to the tomb, he heard them behind him saying, he loved them so much, but he wasn't here to heal them, wasn't here to, to raise him up. And that caused Jesus to weep. And even when they got to the tomb... And he said, roll away the stone and was going to bring him back to life. Martha said, Jesus, don't roll that stone away. There's nothing but death in there. It stinks now. So they didn't believe all the way until they saw him in that miracle in their life and then their faith came back. So what I'm saying is they went from fear to, to fighting to fault finding to faith. You will have a journey from fear to faith if trauma has caused you to fear and you don't have any faith anymore. You will have a journey that won't be exactly like theirs, but it's not dissimilar. What do you mean by trauma of the unknown? This was a very specific event. This was a very specific incident. This was a very specific relationship. They had intimacy. With Jesus, Mary, and Martha. This was a tight clan. Mm-hmm. That's all understandable. Mm-hmm. What, but in your book, what do you mean by trauma of the unknown? Well, there are things that happen to people that they think are normal. And because they happen to them, they live their life with what they thought was normal. And it it really wasn't normal. It caused a trauma in them they didn't know where it was coming from and until they they encounter Jesus and they find out that that was what was causing them to fear to have anxiety to isolate themselves to be moody you know to live by lies 
you know, because lying is a safe place. So there are people who react, go through life, and they're reacting of a trauma that they don't even know is there. Mm -hmm. But it has caused them to lose hope. Yeah, it's it's real. How does defining the faults of others actually define who we are? Well, I say that in the book. Yes, you I, do. It's a quote. I uh, I I say that uh, f- finding fault in somebody says more about you. And it says about them. Yeah, because when there's trauma, people get very judgmental, critical, and angry and frustrated. It means that you don't understand trauma. It means maybe something hasn't happened to you that will happen one of these days that you don't recognize what it takes to deal with that trauma. And finding fault in them, you know, blame blame is is an unkind tool of the guilty. It's a language of hell. I always say blaming is a language of hell. Satan's called the accuser. Fault finding is blaming. Yep. Jesus, he wouldn't have died had you been here. Mm-hmm. Talk about self control and self mastery. What's the difference? Self control is temporary, self mastery is more permanent. Um, you can control yourself today. You may not drink that Diet Coke you're not supposed to drink today. And you can control yourself, or you may not eat that thing that the doctors told you not to participate in, in that food. Today, you may have the self-control. Tomorrow, you may not. Self-mastery is more that you know yourself. You have come to terms with how you should live, whether it's spiritual or whether it's physical life, and you have mastered that and you live by it. Self-control just means I can do that today. Mm-hmm. It's hard to have self-control and self-mastery in the midst of trauma. But thank you. I thought that was a good explanation. Mm-hmm. Why do we tend to draw from others, even those who love us, when we've been through trauma? Why do we tend to draw from withdraw them? Withdraw. Withdraw. Okay. Yeah. Why I misunderstood t- you. No, no, I probably misspoke. Why do we withdraw from others, even those who love us? when we've gone through difficult times and everyone can see that self-control and self-mastery all go out the window because we're in a tailspin. So why do we tend to withdraw from the very thing we need? Because isolation at first seems to be the answer. If I isolate myself, I don't have to face it. If I isolate myself from them, they won't ask me questions. If I isolate myself, I don't have to tell them the truth. Uh, so they isolate themselves and isolation, and that's and that's really what we do. I, you know, the Carpenters wrote a uh, a song or sang a song called Solitaire, but Solitaire is the only game in town. Mm-hmm. And they they said a heart that cared that went unshared until it died within its silence. Solitude is not isolation. What's it's difference? very different. Solitude is when you need to be alone with your own thoughts or you need to be alone with your God and you need to figure some things out or you just need to calm down, just a, a time of rest. That's solitude. Isolation is I 
I don't want to be around you. I don't want to be around anybody. I've got things in my life that hurt, and I'm not going to share them. I'm going to isolate. And failure usually takes you into isolation with Elijah. After he had won that great battle on Mount Carmel, he his life was threatened. He ran, and he ran with his servant. And then at one point, he told his servant to stay there, and he ran another day's journey, and he isolated himself away from everybody because he didn't want to face the failure. That's right. And And so there's a huge... There's a huge difference in those two. Solitary. One, going back to the discussion we have about soul hunger, one of them is a work of the flesh, isolation, yeah. and the other one yeah. is really the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. Solitude is where we find that quiet, still yes. place to reconcile these deep wounds. Yes. And the confusion and chaos that we need to navigate in time. Living is not for the faint of heart. One day I said that and they laughed at me, but it's true. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of courage and strength to live well. Yes, and people understand that, and for some people, they don't want to put the effort in that it takes. How does trauma create lies? You mentioned that in your book. Well, lying actually creates trauma. It works both ways. I talk about the Apostle Peter. When he was in the garden with Jesus, he was a kind of man that was a reactive man, impulsive. And Jesus knew that. Everybody knew that. And when they were in the garden and they came for Jesus, here was this, this man that he'd hooked his wagon to, this star named Jesus. And he hooked his wagon to him, and then they're going to come and they're going to kill him. So when they got there, he drew his sword and he took a wild swing at the servant of the high priest's head, actually wanted to get his head, he got his ear. And Jesus rebuked him. And there he saw the one man he has respected more and that respected him more than anybody in his life be taken away. That was a traumatic event. And that trauma, again, it affected his belief. That field of vision, it affected his belief. Shattered. I like that that pebble shatters Shattered the field, field of, of vision. vision. Yes. That's what trauma does. That's, that's, that's what trauma did. So he went and sat with the enemy. And when they recognized him, he said, I'm not one of his. He said that three times. Even though he was warned he was going to deny and betray the Lord, he said, not me. Three times he said, no, I lied. He lied. He knew he was lying. But lying creates a safe place for a little while for us you know, we, we feel safe. Uh, and we live by lies because it's safer. It's like if in this can- cancel culture we're in, people won't say what they really believe. They'll lie about what they believe because they don't want to be canceled. It's a safer place to lie than it is to tell the truth. It's a slow death and it's another form of trauma. Uh, it compounds the trauma. It, I mean, it's it, traumatizing to lie and silence your deepest convictions and collaborate with the body of lies, it compounds the trauma. It compounds it. And it sends you into isolation. If you're not isolated, it's only a matter of time before you will isolate yourself from everything and everybody. Mm -hmm. And, yep, from lying, he went went from lying, you know, uh, to leadership. 
I, I mean, here here's this guy who lied, but in his lying, he began to learn this is not the way to live. And he was the one who spoke on the day of Pentecost. He was chosen. He was the leader. Peter. And and on that rock, Jesus said, I'll build my church. Peter. Peter, who lied. Grace. Unmerited favor. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing. I often say we're living in the era of grace and the age of rest. The unmerited favor of God is palpable. It's everywhere. And we see it as we reconcile the things that drive us, the hunger that drive us. Indeed. If we have the courage to not let those things run our life, I think we can manage the trauma that comes in time in different ways. I know you've had several traumatic events that you've had to face with staff, being the senior pastor of Sunrise Church and a conference speaker, I might add, for so many years. How many years did you lead the church? I've been pastor there 36 years now. 36 years, almost 40 years of leadership you've seen. It's been You've a encountered great, trauma. It's been a great ride. Yes, has it indeed. Been? How has it changed you? It's it's made me wiser. It's made me love people more because I see them with great intentions. They want to do the right things, but life and choices brings something other than what they had dreamed. And to help them find answers is it's just such a delight. That's why I write. Maybe I'll you help write one for them. Yeah. I know you write for them. I write them. for them. Your books are a love letter to your church. To my church, and I've yeah. always, I've always understood that to be the case. How has that pilgrimage broken you? It's a form of trauma. I look at Mo, the life of Moses. Yeah, probably the greatest leader that. I don't know. Everybody has their own opinion, but one of the greatest leaders that ever lived was Moses. Yeah. But he was broken down and humbled. I think of the greatest leader that ever lived, which was Jesus and teacher and healer and counselor. But he learned obedience through the things he suffered. How has the compounding trauma, honestly, in your own life, shaped, refined, and put you on this course of really having tremendous impact. Your your books have sold millions. I you know, that, that's that's a question I haven't really ever stopped to think about. I think I just I love people, particularly a child. I think that child deserves to be everything God wanted them to be. And I think we ought to do everything we can that, so they can they can realize those dreams. And then when you see trauma come into their lives, you you almost experience it with them. I've seen right, the bedside. so that's it. You've experienced a lot of pain with people. Yeah, and 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 I've experienced trauma, but I think I'm one of those. Honestly, I can't take any credit. It just doesn't bother me. I know there's a solution, and I know God is in control, and I know. This will come to pass. 
this will pass. And when we get on the other side we'll, uh, uh, of this trauma, we'll find the answers and, and we'll make it right, whatever it is. Seeing the trauma in other, others motivates me to help them find answers. And that's really why I wrote the, on, all the books for Focus on the Family, on family, because I saw families in these traumatic situations. And how can we help them, give them answers and help them increase the odds of their family being successful? And then uh, for In the Secret Place, you know, loose lips sink ships. And I've seen people just talk out loud about things that God's doing in their life. And they give Satan the upper hand. He knows he knows what's going to happen. And, and, and he has great influence on things that happen in your life. And so I wrote the book Secret Place so they would know how to pray in their secret place. Bef- like Daniel did, like Mary and Joseph did, before the devil could hear what the plan was going to be. He could then have some kind of influence on it. You know, the one that doesn't need to know needs to be the last one that knows. And so when God is working with you on something embryonic, keep it to yourself until the right time and the right place. And if you're going to speak about it, take authority over those things. Yes. And be careful who you share with. Yes, be careful who you share with. Not everybody shares your goals. And and not everybody wants to see you be successful. So I, I see that and I go right on it. The, the book Soul Hunger, Walking in the Spirit, you know, that's freedom. Walking in the Spirit is freedom. So I wanted them to see that with trauma. I want, I want them to get out of that trauma. I want trauma just to be an event. Don't, li- don't live with the ongoing reaction to trauma. Let God heal it and move, move on. And there's I think a, this yeah, book really source. helps them. There's a source. I think this in collaboration, we don't have time to get into it, but this in collaboration with Soul Hunger and those principles, I think there's something there. I'll look forward to talking to you about this more. Can I just read you how I ended that book? Yes. By the way, I appreciate you discussing this when I know it's very much still Uh, being refined. So thank you for discussing uh, this with us. You're very welcome. I the conclusion of the book, I don't want to insult your readers by reading something, and I hope they won't see that, but this 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 comes from my heart. It says, I wish that traumatic thing had never happened to you. If there were magic wands to wave over it and make it go away, truly, I would help you turn heaven and earth to find yours. But we know that's Pollyannish thinking. And while writing this manuscript... I sat and thought about the people I've counseled over the last 54 years, even those who were not seeking counsel, just needed a listening ear. I can often remember the event connected to their trauma. And I remember some instances that brought a wave of nausea over me. And honestly, at times, it feels overwhelming as a pastor that there's really nothing that I can do. I want to. But I ponder them collectively. A stalking question mark slips up behind me, and I realize only God has the answers to each of those questions. He feels it much deeper than me, and he knows the outcome before anyone knows there's even an issue. He saw that traumatic event you're suffering through before it happened, 
and he knows how you will emerge from it, all the while not willing that you should perish because of it. He is aware of the shame you feel. He understands the depth of the guilt that piles on you like a schoolyard bully. And the fear and anxiety you experience surely takes him back to Gethsemane. When he asked God if there were any other way, darkness was giving him a death stare. And even at the moment he had acknowledged the knowledge of your dilemma, he respectfully was headed to the cross to retrieve the only wand that would ever exist to rid you of your traumatic effects from that evil. There is a wand, but no physician, no scientist, no educator can create one. But I can show you where you can find yours. It isn't hidden. Just look under the cross. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. That's the answer to to the question you asked me. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, everyone. If you would like more information about Dr. Ledbetter, please go to J-O Ledbetter. That's L-E-D-B-E-T-T-E-R.com and keep an eye out for his newest book, Set Free, Released from the Damage of Trauma. If you have been listening to our podcast regularly and are now wondering what's next or what else can I do to start applying these principles, our on-demand day of rest is available to support you in your pilgrimage. Use the promo code podcast, all lowercase, to receive a 10% discount for our on-demand day of rest. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you'd like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate or call 949-289-5935. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next week.